Thanks for listening. This is White Ash Flies with Colin Mahoney, and tonight we're presenting episode two of Lincoln Letters, the selected letters of Abraham Lincoln. You can follow White Ash Flies on SoundCloud and on Twitter at Colin Mahoney15. And now for episode two of Lincoln Letters. To Nathan Sargent, Springfield, Illinois, June 23rd, 1859. Honorable Nathan Sargent, My dear sir, Your very acceptable letter of the 13th was duly received. Of course, I would be pleased to see all the elements of opposition united for the approaching contest of 1860, but I confess I have not much hope of seeing it. You state a platform for such union in these words, opposition to the opening of the slave trade and eternal hostility to the rotten democracy. You add by way of comment, I say, if the Republicans would be content with this, there will be no obstacle to a union of the opposition. But this should be distinctly understood. Before Southern men are asked to join them in a national convention. Well, I say such a platform, unanimously adopted by a national convention, with two of the best men living placed upon it as candidates, would probably carry Maryland, and would certainly not carry a single other state. It would gain nothing in the South, and lose everything in the North. Mr. Goggin has just been beaten in Virginia on just such a platform. Last year, the Republicans of Illinois cast 125,000 votes, On such a platform as yours, they cannot cast as many by 50,000. You could not help perceiving this, if you would but reflect that the Republican Party is utterly powerless everywhere, if it will, by any means, drive from it all those who came to it from the democracy for the sole object of preventing the spread and nationalization of slavery. Whenever this object is waived by the organization, they will drop the organization, and the organization itself will dissolve into thin air. Your platform proposes to allow the spread and nationalization of slavery to proceed without let or hindrance, save only that it shall not receive supplies directly from Africa. Surely you do not seriously believe the Republicans can come to any such terms. From the passage of the Nebraska Bill up to date, the Southern opposition have constantly sought to gain an advantage over the rotten democracy by running ahead of them in extreme opposition to and vilification and misrepresentation of black Republicans. It will be a good deal if we fail to remember this in malice, as I hope we shall fail to remember it. But it is altogether too much to ask us to try to stand with them on the platform which has proved altogether insufficient to sustain them alone. If the rotten democracy shall be beaten in 1860, it has to be done by the North. No human invention can deprive them of the South. 
I do not deny that there are as good men in the South as the North, and I guess we will elect one of them if he will allow us to do so on Republican ground. I think there can be no other ground of union. For my single self, I would be willing to risk some Southern men without a platform. But I am satisfied that is not the case with the Republican Party generally. Yours very truly. To Shiler Colfax, Springfield, Illinois, July 6, 1859. Honorable Shiler Colfax, my dear sir, I much regret not seeing you while you were here among us. Before learning that you were to be at Jacksonville on the 4th, I had given my word to be at another place. Besides a strong desire to make your personal acquaintance, I was anxious to speak with you on politics, a little more fully than I can well do in a letter. My main object in such conversation would be to hedge against divisions in the Republican ranks generally, and particularly for the contest of 1860. The point of danger is the temptation in different localities to platform for something which will be popular just there, but which, nevertheless, will be a firebrand elsewhere, and especially in a national convention. As instances, the movement against foreigners in Massachusetts, in New Hampshire, to make obedience to the fugitive slave law punishable as a crime, in Ohio, to repeal the fugitive slave law, and squatter sovereignty in Kansas. In these things there is explosive matter enough to blow up half a dozen national conventions, if it gets into them. And what gets very rife outside of conventions is very likely to find its way into them. What is desirable, if possible, is that in every local convocation of Republicans, a point should be made to avoid everything that will distract Republicans elsewhere. Massachusetts Republicans should have looked beyond their noses, and then they could not have failed to see that tilting against foreigners would ruin us in the whole Northwest. New Hampshire and Ohio should forbear tilting against the fugitive slave law in such a way as utterly overwhelm us in Illinois with the charge of enmity to the Constitution itself. Kansas, in her confidence that she can be saved to freedom on squatter sovereignty, ought not to forget that to prevent the spread and nationalization of slavery is a national concern, and must be attended to by the nation. In a word, in every locality we should look beyond our noses, and at least say nothing on points where it is probable we shall disagree. I write this for your eye only, hoping, however, that if you see danger as I think I do, you will do what you can to avert it. Could not suggestions be made to the leading men in the state and congressional conventions, and so avoid, to some extent at least, these apples of discord? Yours very truly. 
to Samuel Galloway, Springfield, Illinois, July 28, 1859. Honorable Samuel Galloway, My dear sir, Your very complimentary, not to say flattering letter of the 23rd instant is received. Dr. Reynolds had induced me to expect you here, and I was disappointed, not a little, by your failure to come. And yet I fear you have formed an estimate of me which can scarcely be sustained on a personal acquaintance. Two things done by the Ohio Republican Convention, the repudiation of Judge Swan and the plank for a repeal of the Fugitive Slave Law, I very much regretted. These two things are of a piece, and they are viewed by many good men, sincerely opposed to slavery, as a struggle against, and in disregard of, the Constitution itself. And it is the very thing that will greatly endanger our cause, if it not be kept out of our National Convention. There is another thing our friends are doing which gives me some uneasiness. It is their leaning towards popular sovereignty. There are three substantial objections to this. First, no party can command respect which sustains this year what it opposed last. Secondly, Douglas, who is the most dangerous enemy of liberty, because the most insidious one, would have little support in the North, and by consequence no capital to trade on in the South, if it were not for our friends thus magnifying him into his humbug. But lastly, and chiefly, Douglas's popular sovereignty, accepted by the public mind as a just principle, nationalizes slavery, and revives the African slave trade inevitably. Taking slaves into new territories and buying slaves in Africa are identical things, identical rights or identical wrongs, and the argument which establishes one will establish the other. Try a thousand years for a sound reason why Congress shall not hinder the people of Kansas from having slaves, and when you have found it, it will be an equally good one why Congress should not hinder the people of Georgia from importing slaves from Africa. As to Governor Chase, I have a kind side for him. He was one of the few distinguished men of the nation who gave us, in Illinois, their sympathy last year. I never saw him, suppose him to be able and right-minded but still he may not be the most suitable as a candidate for the presidency. I must say I do not think myself fit for the presidency. As you propose a correspondence with me, I shall look for your letters anxiously. I have not met Dr. Reynolds since receiving your letter, but when I shall, I will present your respects, as requested. Yours very truly. To William E. Fraser, Springfield, Illinois, November 1, 1859. W. E. Fraser, Esquire. Dear Sir, 
Yours of the 24th Ultimate was forwarded to me from Chicago. It certainly is important to secure Pennsylvania for the Republicans in the next presidential contest, and not unimportant to also secure Illinois. As to the ticket you name, I shall be heartily for it, after it shall have been fairly nominated by a Republican National Convention, and I cannot be committed to it before. For my single self, I have enlisted for the permanent success of the Republican cause, and for this object I shall labor faithfully in the ranks, unless, as I think not probable, the judgment of the party shall assign me a different position. If the Republicans of the great state of Pennsylvania shall present Mr. Cameron as their candidate for the presidency, such an endorsement of his fitness for the place could scarcely be deemed insufficient. Still, as I would not like the public to know, so I would not like myself to know I had entered a combination with any man, to the prejudice of all others whose friends respectively may consider them preferable. Yours truly. To William Kellogg, Springfield, Illinois, December 11, 1859. Honorable William Kellogg, my dear sir, I have been a good deal relieved this morning by a sight of Greeley's letter to you, published in the Tribune. Before seeing it, I much feared you had, in charging interviews between Douglas and Greeley, stated what you believed, but did not certainly know to be true, and that it might be untrue, and our enemies would get an advantage of you. However, as G. admits the interviews, I think it will not hurt you that he denies conversing with D. about his re-election to the Senate. G., I think, will not tell a falsehood, and I think he will scarcely deny that he had the interviews with D. in order to assure himself from D.'s own lips, better than he could from his public acts and declarations, whether to try to bring the Republican Party to his support generally, including his re-election to the Senate. What else could the interviews be for? Why immediately followed in the Tribune the advice that all anti-Lecompton Democrats should be re-elected? The world will not consider it anything that Dee's re-election to the Senate was not specifically talked of by him and G. Now, Mark, I do not charge that G was corrupt in this. I do not think he was or is. It was his judgment that the course he took was the best way of serving the Republican cause. For this reason, and for the further reason that he is now pulling straight with us, I think, if I were you, I would not pursue him further than necessary to my own justification. If I were you, I would, however, be greatly tempted to ask him if he really thinks Dee's advice to his friends to vote for a Lecompton and Slave Code man is very plucky. Please excuse what I have said, 
in the way of unsolicited advice. I believe you will not doubt the sincerity of my friendship for you. Yours very truly. To George W. Dole, Gurdon S. Hubbard, and William H. Brown, Springfield, December 14, 1859. Messrs. Dole, Hubbard, and Brown. Gentlemen, your favor of the twelfth is at hand, and it gives me pleasure to be able to answer it. It is not my intention to take part in any of the rivalries for the gubernatorial nomination, but fear of being misunderstood upon that subject ought not to deter me from doing justice to Mr. Judd, and preventing a wrong being done to him by the use of my name in connection with alleged wrongs to me. In answer to your first question as to whether Mr. Judd was guilty of any unfairness to me at the time of Senator Trumbull's election, I answer unhesitatingly in the negative. Mr. Judd owed no political allegiance to any party whose candidate I was. He was in the Senate, holding over, having been elected by a Democratic constituency. He never was in any caucus of the friends who sought to make me U.S. Senator, never gave me any promises or pledges to support me, and subsequent events have greatly tended to prove the wisdom politically of Mr. Judd's course. The election of Judge Trumbull strongly tended to sustain and preserve the position of that portion of the Democrats who condemned the repeal of the Missouri Compromise, and left them in a position of joining with us in forming the Republican Party, as was done at the Bloomington Convention in 1856. During the canvass of 1858 for the senatorship, my belief was, and still is, that I had no more sincere and faithful friend than Mr. Judd, certainly none whom I trusted more. His position as chairman of the State Central Committee led to my greater intercourse with him, and to my giving him a larger share of my confidence than with or to almost any other friend. And I have never suspected that that confidence was, to any degree, misplaced. My relations with Mr. Judd, since the organization of the Republican Party in our state in 1856, and especially since the adjournment of the legislature in February 1857, have been so very intimate that I deem it an impossibility that he could have been dealing treacherously with me. He has also, at all times, appeared equally true and faithful to the party. In his position as chairman of the committee, I believe he did all that any man could have done, the best of us are liable to commit errors, which become apparent by subsequent development. But I do not now know of any single error, even, committed by Mr. Judd, since he and I have acted together politically. I had occasionally heard these insinuations against Mr. Judd before the receipt of your letter, and in no instance have I hesitated to pronounce them wholly unjust, to the full extent of my knowledge and belief. I have been, and still am, 
very anxious to take no part between the many friends, all good and true, who are mentioned as candidates for a Republican gubernatorial nomination. But I cannot feel that my own honor is quite clear if I remain silent when I hear any one of them assailed about matters of which I believe I know more than his assailants. I take pleasure in adding that of all the avowed friends I had in the canvas of last year, I do not suspect any of having acted treacherously to me, or to our cause, and that there is not one of them in whose honesty, honor, and integrity I, today, have greater confidence than I have in those of Mr. Judd. I dislike to appear before the public in this matter, but you are at liberty to make such use of this letter as you may think justice requires. Yours very truly. You can use your discretion as to whether you make this public.